Welcome to Mysteries, Monsters, and Mayhem. I'm Shannon Lawrence. And I'm M.B. Partlow. Quick content warning before we get started. This podcast may contain language and disturbing content, so enter at your own risk. Hello. We've we've Hello. already exhausted our talking yep. for 20 minutes, so we're just not going to talk to there's, you. There's nothing left to discuss. We have just run kidding. out of topics. <laughs> yeah, okay. We're both so quiet and self-contained and unexpressive. Stoic. Unexpressed. Stoic. Stoic. Stoic is the word. That's me. <laughs> That's us. Yes. Yes, I'm frequently called quiet. <laughs> I am, though. <laughs> well, yes, you are. But I guess Sometimes. maybe what they've learned is they just weren't talking about anything that interested me. Maybe I shouldn't put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, I heard the best expression the other day. I wrote it down while we were talking so I would remember it. We were talking about... Somebody said something about being divorced, and this woman said, oh, I touched that hot stove once. Well, uh, <laughs> just was like, I love that. I like it. Yeah, I was like, Very gonna, I was like, I'm going to use that. But what did she mean? But, like, well, had she been divorced? She had been divorced. She'd also been divorced. Yeah, oh, yeah, I touched that hot stove once. It's <laughs> just like, that's the best. Talk some more. <laughs> what are the things your parents and your grandparents said? That's what I want to know. Those are the expressions I like to work in. Yeah. Sorry. I can't think of anything except my oaky, oaky native grandpa going, somebody stepped on a frog when one of the kids <laughs> passed gas. Oh, <laughs> must have stepped on a frog every time. With us, it was stepped on a duck. Because <laughs> <laughs> of the, cause of the no- well, I mean, you know. <laughs> I just remember the first time he said that. I was like, What? <laughs> I think it was like 14. <laughs> well, you know, and I was like, that's, I don't know, what? <laughs> that's weird. That's why I laughed. I don't know. My dad had all kinds of sayings. Some of them are probably offensive, so nobody will ever hear that on there. Well, yeah. <laughs> there, yes, we edit some of them out. But, um, I, yeah, I just, because when Nikki went off to college, or as you all know, her thing too. Uh, she would use expressions that she heard her dad and I use. Mm-hmm. And I, because I read and I write, and I just glom on to things from everywhere I've ever lived and everybody I've ever heard speak, she would say things like, yeah, it's about spitting distance. And people would just look at her and be like, what the fuck are you talking about? I know I've heard that one. It's probably ones I can't think of just because they were so normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, if, once you're on the spot, quick, tell me some sayings. No. Oh, help me. <laughs> so you went up, you were up at a drag bingo in Denver? I did. It was a fundraiser for MS. So, as usual, when I go out, I made a friend in the bathroom. <laughs> so, we're at a bar. And I go to the ladies' room. And there are these two women. And one of them I've seen all over the bar. Because she's like an energizer bunny she's a little skinny cute you know not super young uh, younger than i am but who isn't <laughs> except for god who isn't uh so funny <laughs> <laughs> but i mean she's bopping around then she's dancing then she's behind the bar that so i'm just like okay whatever so i go in the bathroom these she's in there and this other woman are in there and you can tell they're having this the kind of conversation you have in a women's room at a bar. The, the, these deep, meaningful, far-reaching, cosmic 
conversations and I'm like, all I wanted to know is, are y'all in line? Because <laughs> I really, I'm like, my teeth are going to float right out of my mouth if I don't pee soon. So I go into the bath, into the stall and it's a big, it's an oddly shaped bathroom because there's like the sink is in the middle and there's a stall on one side of it and a stall on the other side. And there were doors. So there could have been more stalls. So I go in and I'm having one of those epic, oh my God, I'm going to be in here peeing for the rest of my life. I call that the Adam Sandler pee. Yes. Or the... Um, From his, his oh album. Who else did that in the movie? Austin. Oh, Austin Powers. Austin Powers. <laughs> so anyway, I'm in there and all of a sudden I hear a man's voice. I'm like, well, that's odd. <laughs> Unacceptable. I, but, but, you know, so I'm, as long as he's not trying to break down the door of my stall, I really don't care anymore. So I go out, and it's still the two women. And I said, excuse me. So I washed my hands. Important to know. Wash your fucking hands, people. So I washed my hands. And I tur- I'm drying them off, and I turn around to the two women, and I said, excuse me, was I hallucinating, or did I hear a man's voice? And I start laughing, and the one woman, not the not the boppy, energetic woman, the other woman says, oh, yes, that was my boyfriend. He came in to see why the hell I'd been in the bathroom for 45 minutes <laughs> and wanted to make sure everything was okay. And I said, well, that was nice of him. At which point, he steps out from the other stall. Because I was in the bathroom, he went in to pee, and I was like, well, it's very nice to meet you. I'm going to go have another drink now. <laughs> so then the woman, the boppy woman, comes out and comes up and engages us in conversation and tells us her entire life story and wants to know who we are, what we do. and Who's, who's your daddy? Yeah. How's your mama? How's your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... You make friends wherever you go, don't you? And I'm like, well, kind of. <laughs> and I'm like, I, t- 10 minutes later, I couldn't have told you what her first name was. <laughs> Whereas I was just home all the time this weekend, but I had teenage boys over for my son's birthday. And so that's brave. Boy, the energy. <laughs> when you get three extra teenagers in your house, the energy is. Yes. Even, yep, even with boys. People think girls are just going to sit there and giggle and do all that stuff. They wouldn't like it to be called giggling. But I tell you what, they were laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll call it laughing. We'll call it laughing. But yeah, a hearty energy. And like all of them had come from something. One of them works at Pepsi's down at the outdoor arcade in Manor Two Springs. Did he bring candy? He did not. He brought trivia that is like, uh, mm, oh, I'm not going to drink the uh, drinks there anymore, I don't think. (laughs) Oh. So it's 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 old uh-huh. for people who do not know. It's old. And so the one in the arcade? Yeah, it's okay. protected. So they can't paint the outside of it without getting permission from the city. They can't right. change anything about it. And it's this little stand for people who don't know. And it's enclosed. Like it's a small building that they can close up, but it's the size Tiny. of here's the fry grill, here's the counter yeah. with the drink things and stuff. Here's the front counter. Like it's, <laughs> it's just like if you took that little thing out of a restaurant, just that little spot, and then boop, made it into a whole building. Wow. And so the pipes cannot be changed out until I assume something catastrophic happens, but they'd still have to get permission then. So it's old pipes. So you're not allowed to drink the water. But it's considered safe to wash all the dishes and okay. stuff for prep and also to use for soda and lemonade and stuff. 
And he's like, interestingly, it's why the lemonade's so good. <laughs> and I'm like... Because it's made with questionable water. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, hmm. Okay. 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 Thanks. I mean, it's legal. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's like, well, they, yeah, you can't change it. You can't go in and redo those pipes until there is a very good reason to redo those pipes. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, it must be, I didn't, I didn't ask him. This was them having a conversation in the kitchen I, while they're waiting for the cake. So it's like, uh, see, so it must have been put under protected buildings thing. You have to register something for it to get that point. You can have an ancient house that you can do whatever you want to as long as you didn't put it on the registered right. historical homes, right? Right. If it's registered as a, yeah, that's. So they must have. And I'm like, well. I, I've been, the more I look into that and, like, see the houses that pop up on, for the liberal oh, houses, they're like, don't. you would have to get this. And I'm like, man, why would you want to do it unless you got it in perfect shape first? Mm -hmm. But even then, if you've switched out too much beforehand, then it won't get put on the, that mm -hmm. register. So it's like. Yeah, I that's my f somewhat passing familiarity with it is growing up in upstate New York. We lived right outside the Adirondack Park, and it's very much like that inside the Adirondack Park. You can't build a bird feeder without permits and inspections, and mm -hmm. and you can't fix things or expand things or change your roof without getting right. permission. When I walked around Georgetown, there were a lot of houses that had the little, little metal circle uh -huh. that said, you know, register, historic, whatever, and then, like, the gear would be big. And it's like, okay, that's great. You got yourself on there. I don't know that it bring it doesn't bring you any money. What does it bring you except for the inability to, I mean, when you're selling your house, perhaps it I'm sure it raises the value if it's registered historical and it's like, great, but you're living there now and you can't fix anything. So explain to me what you earn. So somebody explain to me what the benefit of doing that is. I don't know. There used to be a house we joked about that we were looking at in Buny mm -hmm. until one day we realized, because it was for sale. The first few years we went to Buny, this house was always for sale. It was gorgeous. And then we realized, oh, it's on the register of historic. Right. And I was like, oh, no. I imagine they were asking too much for it because it was registered. Yeah. And now they had redone a lot on the inside because they had, we did, I picked up a flyer. I'm oh. like, if this is my. This is my dream home. I got to know what the inside looks like. And they had updated the inside, but yeah, and it was red brick on the outside, so it wasn't anything too hideous to maintain. But well, I don't know. I it oh, was I a bright red. Good. It was painted red brick. So I read because I talked about it on here before one of the other books by her. I put up a post and I was like, I want I. I'm wanting something like One by One by Ruth Ware. So oh, recommendations, right, right. right? I got a bunch of them, put those on my blog, just to pass them along to people. But I ended up getting The Death of Mrs. Westaway by Ruth Ware and read that. Oh, how was it? I liked it. I didn't, it wasn't the, you know, same, which right. is a good thing, in my opinion, when the author doesn't write the same thing over and over and over again. But I, I, it wasn't what I was looking for, which was that Agatha Christie feel mm -hmm. that she got in one by one but it was good it felt like a cozy and it felt historical so i kept getting confused like when a cell phone got pulled out it was just the mood of it ah and so it just because it's an old it's an old family and somebody passes away mrs westaway actually well, passes yes. away but here's the thing i thought it would be about oh they're gonna find out it was murder and not that she just died but it wasn't it wasn't about that at all it was about family oh. dynamics and she starts Figuring out her mom wasn't her mom and like all this stuff, right? They're just oh like my God. crazy stuff like that. 
Okay. So, and she's trying to, she's basically, she gets the letter and she's like, well, this person isn't my mom, but they have the same name. So I'm in deep trouble and there's somebody coming after me for money. Ah. So I'm going to go ahead and go. Like that's the beginning. So that's not <laughs> spoilery. <laughs> but so she's kind of trying to fool them. And then all of a sudden she sees what it's like to have family because it was just her and her mom until her mom got hit by a hit and run driver. Why is killed. this sounding very familiar? I wonder if I've read this. You might have. A lot of people had recommended that one to me. So anyway, it was still really good. And like the deeper it goes into it, the better it gets and the more twists and twists and twists there are. So yeah, still good. Not what I was looking for. So I'll have to read something else. But I read, and of course I didn't write down the author or the title because <laughs> that would have made sense. But I will post it because when we posted what are people reading, I said I'm reading this really great kind of a thriller set in India. Yeah. And that was really fascinating. Part of it was because the main character is a female. So at some point during, and it was one of these things that came up on my tablet. So I not, I don't have back cover copy to look at. I'm just looking at the title and the cover. And so I assumed that the author was a woman, but it's not, it's a man. Huh? But yeah, I, from that point of view, I thought he did a good job. But it's this woman who was a lawyer and defended someone. She got out of being a detective and became a... Or she got out of being a lawyer and became a private detective. And then something terrible happened and she stopped. The reason why she stopped being a lawyer was because she defended someone who was guilty. And he came to her office and he said, thank you. Because if you hadn't got me off... I, I, I will never do this again, but I had to do it one last time. So she races to and to to find out where he's. That's all backstory. Mm-hmm. That's not even what's going on right now. It's a serial killer uh, who took her mother, who is uh, in prison, and all of a sudden, similar crimes. I mean, identical crimes yeah. start happening, and so it's one of those. Nice. It was good. It was. I did not. Um, I, well, you know, you get partway through a mystery and you're like, well, unless they're going to introduce someone at the very end, it's got to be somebody it's I've somebody met. I already know. So. Well, and introducing somebody at the very end is a big no-no. Yes, it is. However, there is the, oh, no, Mary Reinhardt, whatever. Mary Robert Reinhardt? Yes. So I remember the first one I read by her that I've watched before. This one stuck with me forever and I don't know the name of it. So don't even write it down. <laughs> Okay. But uh, the, the killer in the end is the narrator that we've been following the whole time. So in that oh. way, it's not a character that you're looking at. And yet, it's totally fair switcheroo. Yes. And it's so well done. I mean, I read it as a teenager. Maybe if I read it now, it'd be different. But even as a teenager, I was often knew the ending before. Even with the death of Mrs. West- Westaway, I had figured out mm-hmm. a couple of the things, but not all the things. You know, there's a lot in that one. It's complicated, which is excellent. So Yeah. That was like, that's the fairest I've seen of somebody who wasn't in the book before being, because they were, but right. that, but you're not looking at them because they're telling you the story. <laughs> I love a good, unreliable narrator. Yes. But I will, I think it's hard to do it right. Yeah. Because sometimes you're like. It's on my list of someday I want to write one of those. Because you can't have your narrator, because sometimes if the narr the. If that's not well written, the narrator just sounds like a dick, and you don't like them. And so when it turns, you're like, "Well, good. I hope they get the chair." It's you know, you don't. Yeah, there not- has to be a lot else compelling. I mean, Gone Girl. None of the characters. I think there's one likable character 
in Gone His Girl. sister. Yes. But, but that it's kept so me... compelling. Yes, that, that one kept me going. So that's also a really tight rope yep. to walk or tight edge right there. You know, like, yes. Uh, I don't want you to like these characters, but I want you to be so interested in what's happening. That you have to figure out what, you have to know, how did we get here? Yeah. Wait, what happened? Wait, now what's going to happen? Yeah. That was um, in the TV show Reacher, which we've talked about before. I thought they did an excellent job ending the episodes. Because yeah. it, you you almost could not stop watching. Yeah. You had to watch the next episode to see how whatever that mini tra- uh, drama was, how it resolved. And I feel like shows used to be better at doing... I feel like when yeah. it was episodic, when you were watching... Or not episodic, but when you were watching an episode each week mm-hmm. and you had to wait till the next week, there were a lot of shows that really had that down. I'm going to plant something. With, Here, we ended this episode, mm-hmm. but here's this thing. Who shot JR? Dude. Okay. So bearing in mind how old I was when that was okay. out, I remember only that my friend's mom was watching that and I would hear her talking about it all the time. So I actually, like, by osmosis... Was hearing mm-hmm. the Who Shot JR thing. But I remember it being like on a TV guide cover and it just was, everywhere. It was a season finale, I believe. So it was like all summer. That's why. Yeah. I, and were I, talk- even as a little kid, I saw it everywhere. I mean, because he was, and this was Larry Hagman played the character. Yeah. So he played Major Nelson on I Dream of Jeannie. Mm-hmm. So everybody loved Major Nelson. So J.R. Ewing was a big departure from that role. I mean, he had done other stuff in between. But he's just this, he's this big, brash Texan. Mm -mm. He's an oil guy with money to burn. He mistreats his wife. He's a philanderer. He's just not a good guy at all. And you, all you see is a hand with a gun and you hear the shots and you see JR with the blood. And there was very little, I if I'm remembering correctly, they didn't yeah. show a lot of gore. He kind of clutches his chest and falls to the ground. And that's where it ended for the summer. Yes. Yeah. That's crazy. Cause I had to have been in what the early eighties. Cause I still lived in Oregon when it happened. Yeah. Cause I, th- yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had to have, cause I think it was before I went off to college. Cause I didn't watch TV much. Yeah. And cause it was my friend Kelsey's mom. Like, I still... <laughs> they did. They had t-shirts. That. It was on magazines. Who shot JR? And articles about who it could have been. And Well, and we got the TV guide for a while. So, yeah. It was on there. It was probably on there at least once, if not more. Right? Oh, yeah. Because there was... Oh, I just remember those little TV guides. I kind of missed those. You remember the TV guide? Yeah. We never got it. I was always jealous because we never got it. We got three channels and two of them were Canadian, so TV Guide wouldn't have done us much good. We lived in the capital of Oregon, so there had to be channels at the very you, least. You were posh. Oh, no, we lived in the slums <laughs> of the <I'm> capital. <laughs> Just to be clear, we lived in an apartment, and my friend was from a different apartment up the street, a different set of apartments up the street. It was a weird little apartment building. I would be mm. really curious to go see it because it wasn't a huge apartment like I think of now. Like our apartment buildings here in Colorado Springs, right, are huge. They are. You know, hundreds, hundreds. Mm-hmm. These were like stacked buildings next to each other, but they weren't row houses because then there were, I don't know, again, it was like six. I, yeah. Five 
probably because then we rented a house and then we rented, you know, one little house and then we rented another little house. Then we moved in with my grandma because my dad moved to Maryland ahead of us. So, but I think it was like six or eight just stacked two by two yep. up this building and then another building next to it would do the same thing and the same thing. But then I could swear Kelsey's apartments were different. They were across the street and down the street. And it was just... That was one of the places I almost got kidnapped. Just well, to be very clear, it was the slums. <laughs> yes. I like that. It was just one of the places who almost got kidnapped. Yes. <laughs> exactly. You've led an exciting life. I have. <laughs> and then a pandemic hits and you're like, wow, this is dull. <laughs> kind of. And then we go back into the Cold War. <laughs> and then that's not dull anymore. All right, shall we yes. get started? Yes, are you? Yes, you're starting this one. I'm starting this one. So I will sit quietly and behave myself. Just our, the next, our next episode, just so you guys know, we'll have a little of the supernatural theme, but this one does not. All right, I had to listen to news shows to know how to say her name. The Disappearance of Jody Husentrout. It's spelled H-U-I-S-E-N-T-R-U-I. Sources, Wikipedia, The Sun, The Murder Squad, the article, Two Interesting Facts on the Jody Husentrude Case by Scott Snyder on Medium, CBS News, KAAL-TV, I think that (laughs) KAAL-TV was a CBS, but it might not have been, and findjody.com, various pieces from that. Okay, Tuesday. June 27th, 1995, at 4 a.m., Amy Coons, and by the way, I didn't find out how to pronounce her name correctly because they didn't talk about her, K-U-N-S, a producer at K-I-M-T, which was a CBS affiliate, called the apartment of Jody Husentrout, who was usually at work as a newscaster. Her morning show was called Daybreak, and she would get there by about 3.30 a.m. Because the show was at 6 a.m. She'd have to do all her makeup and all that good stuff. So Jody answered, said she'd overslept and she would be there soon. She was about to go out the door. And I think that she called at, yeah, 4 a.m. So by airtime, 6 a.m., Jody hadn't shown up. So Coons had to fill in. At 7 a.m., now thoroughly worried, obviously, because this was not like her. She had been late before because, come on, people are going to oversleep when you have to be at work at 3.30 in the morning. KIMT called the Mason City, Iowa police to ask for a welfare check on her. Mm -hmm. So police go to our apartment. They were there by 7.15 a.m. It wasn't a big town. And this was in the 90s when that was possible for things to move that fast. Mm -hmm. And her red Miata was still parked outside her apartment. It was brand new. It was just a couple weeks old. Oh, wow. And it was a little convertible. Items of hers were scattered around the driver's side of the car. So... There was a hair dryer, an earring, a can of hairspray, a pair of red heels, and the car key, which was bent. So it looked like she had probably gotten the car key into the lock, and, was, and that's when she was attacked, and it got bent was and pulled, pulled out. off to the side. Yes. Okay. There were also some drag marks in the dirt, but it was not a dirt parking lot, so there wasn't a lot of this. This was just the dirt that was sitting uh, on the okay. pavement. Her purse and briefcase were missing, as was her. She had this big makeup kit that she would run in with. Which makes sense. Yeah. So the makeup case was also missing. Yes. Okay. So no ID, nothing like that. Everything had gone with her. The police found nothing unusual in her apartment when they searched. Her bed was made, despite her having been late. So that's a well-drilled in habit, right? Yep. Uh, 
The only weird thing in there was that the toilet lid was up, which was unusual for a, a, a woman living alone, but there could have been a billion reasons why that uh, happened. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. So they and they just figured whoever had taken her had never stepped foot in the apartment. So the only real evidence of another person was a palm print on her vehicle, which was never matched to anyone. But the thing hmm. is, anybody could have touched it. Somebody getting in a car next to her could have uh, touched yeah. it. Somebody could have tripped, been picking up dog poo. Yeah, a strand of hair was found, but that didn't lead anywhere. And again, could have belonged to anybody. It was outside of the vehicle. And the attacker not only didn't appear to have gone in her apartment, but also hadn't gone to her car. It looked like the car had never been entered okay. once she got, once that key got pulled out. When questioned, neighbors did say they'd heard a, heard some screams around 4.30 a.m. Nobody had called the police. And that's about the time she probably would have been heading out after they talked to her. One neighbor said there had been a white van similar in style to like an 80s Econoline, a big white one, mm-hmm. in the lot near her car with its engine running and lights on. But they hadn't gotten a plate because, I mean, it was just sitting there, but it was near her car. The man did say he thought it belonged to a police officer, which was so weird. I never found anything else about that, like why he thought it belonged to a police officer. It didn't have markings. So uh, um, more recently, just to add on to this, a witness has come forward to say that she was jogging through that parking lot and almost got hit by a speeding car. But it didn't say a description of that car. It didn't say anything like just somebody was hauling ass out of there and almost hit her. Behind the apartment complex, which consisted of three buildings in a U-shape, was a park through which ran the Winnebago River. I have a thing about, there's a big river, there's a body in it. <laughs> the, more, <laughs> the more true crime you do, the more you see how many bodies get dumped in rivers. Both the park and the river were searched. Obviously, they're only going to go so far in the river. But there's pictures of the cops out there, and they're like a little boat, and doing all that stuff. They searched her work area at the station as well, trying to see if she'd received any threats, Mm -hmm. if there was anything there. And, of course, she did get threats every once in a while. She was the face of this morning show. Right. In this town. So their whole entire job is becoming a familiar face to all these people and becoming trustworthy and the person they come to for this. Right. Right? And so that is going to mean they're going to be crazies who are into you, just like actors get on that wider spectrum. Yes. She had made a police report the previous October when someone in a small white truck followed her during a run. It looked like a newer truck, she said. There was no identification or plate, so the officer advised her on some methods to keep safe, such as to take a self-defense class, get some mace, because you're going to work at 3.30 in the morning mm-hmm. and you're a woman alone. She did start taking a self-defense class, and the woman who ran it said she'd missed one of the classes in March 1995. So that's just a few months before her disappearance. She said somebody had been following her, so she'd ended mm. up being getting there just so late that she'd missed the class. Ah. And she expressed concerns about going to work in the middle of the night, so it was a husband and wife who owned it, and so they geared her training toward things that would help with that. Here are some self-defense oh, nice. things if somebody attacks you in the middle of the night. So they, of course, expressed... Great surprise that she ended up being taken. And but and of course, great concern because she had been asking specifically mm-hmm. about that risk. The fact that she was running late for work has raised eyebrows as pre-planning. It looked very well organized, right? But if somebody had been pre-planning this, that means that they waited over an hour past when she, they would have expected her to come out on her normal schedule. Right? So was it pre-planned or was it not? Was this just happenstance? Well, here's a 
And why was it so important then if it was pre-planned for them to wait for an hour and a half to take her that day instead of coming back the next day? Maybe. Did anybody check to see what time her alarm was set for? Because it was 90 what? Five. So we didn't, we weren't, didn't have the phones like we do now, did we? Right. So she would have had an alarm clock. Somebody could have got broken into her apartment. Say her alarm is set for 3 right. a.m. She could, they could have changed it and set it for 4. Now, they had, there were no I signs anybody had picked a lock or broken it. Of course, you're not going to see that every time. We're going to look right. for scratch marks. Yada, yada. So that's possible, too. Depending on what kind of clock she had, even if they just cut the power, which you wouldn't even have to go in her apartment to do, it would reset the clock. Right. Those little. And then it and wouldn't it, go off. So, yeah, there are ways they could have done it. But I don't know why they would have to wait until whenever she woke up. I am insisting on making this more complicated than it is. (laughs) I don't know why. I mean, it's valid as a writer. That's something that you put in a story, right? But then they would have to like, then they'd really, it would be up in the air because unless they reset it to a certain time and then knew they could be waiting, if they cut the power, for example, then you're like, all right, whenever she wakes up, I'm going to sit here in my van and just idle behind her Miata. Or was it completely, I'm just going to sit here. Yeah, just somebody who was like, oh, hey, look, a chick I can kidnap. I recognize her from the news. You know, something like that. The night before her disappearance, Jody had gone to a friend's house, John Van Sice, and he's going to come up again to watch a video of the surprise birthday party he'd had for her earlier that month. Her birthday was June 5th. When she disappeared, she was 27 years old. Oh, God. He said she left around 10.30 p.m. He was like, you know, 9.30, 10.30. I mean, mm-hmm. somebody leaves, you don't necessarily look and see what time it is. The previous day, she'd been in a golf tournament. This was something she was good at. She'd actually won a Class A tournament twice in 1985-1986 when she wow. was in high school. So she had continued doing this golf thing. I think it was like a maybe a big charity thing or something like that. After the tournament, she returned home to change. Then she went back to the golf club to hang out. She mentioned to at least one person that she was receiving nasty, like, dirty phone calls. And so the next day, she was probably changing her phone number. She was also tired of her job and thinking about another change. This was her third job in the news. She'd worked in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh Then she'd gone back home to Minnesota and had a job there. Then she'd gotten this one. When there were no answers, by September 1995, Jody's family hired several private investigators. In addition, her case got attention that not only was it covered on America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries, Uh and it was those detectives who were getting it on there, and then they they would go on the shows. But her family actually consulted some psychics. I think they went to L.A. for this. And that was used as a pilot for a show called Psychic Detectives. So because of this woman being, uh, you know, Hmm. a newscaster and therefore having a little bit of fame in the area, this got a lot of attention. Plenty of people called in. There were plenty of leads, but no actual answers, no viable suspects from that. So I'm going to go over a couple of the suspects. The first two are the two big ones that we see everywhere. Like when I'm researching this, these are the ones that were the most believed in. John Van Sice, her mm-hmm. friend, has been a person of interest throughout. His alibi starting at 6 a.m. was backed up by a friend he went for early morning walks with because they called him at 6 a.m. to confirm their walk at 7 a.m. And since it's thought that Jody disappeared around 4.30, he would have had to do whatever he was going to do, get there and get do back. it, hide the body or whatever by 7 a.m. So we would have had about 90 minutes. There was no evidence showing he had done anything to her the previous night. 
Because, you know, she'd clearly been alive and she didn't sound frantic or anything right. like that when the, the producer called her. So you'd think if he was going to kill her, he would have done it when she was there because it's not like anybody knew she was there. But yeah. he was very forthright. He actually was on his walk and came across the crime scene and talked to the police. And he was oh, like, God. what's going on? And so, of course, he was, as a friend, as the last person to have seen her alive and as a person who showed up at the, the scene, crime, he yep. was very much looked oh, at. Yeah. But, again, he had an alibi at 6 a.m. and an alibi at 7 a.m., which does leave 90 minutes where he doesn't have an alibi. But the woman who had gone for the walk with him also was questioned. She was grand jury, all this stuff. Oh, wow. And she said he was in no, she, he was no different. He was not anxious. He wasn't right. agitated when we went for a walk. It was just a normal walk. So either he's the calmest sociopath, a possibility. Yep. So, and he also kept getting, he stayed involved, but we see that, right? That's one of the things somebody who's guilty does do as well. Right. So this is not a defense really, but he helped the police. He provided their names and contact information for some of their mutual friends, that sort of thing. And he described himself as feeling fatherly toward her. He was about, I think it was 22 years her senior. Oh, wow. He did pass a polygraph, et cetera, et cetera. Tony Jackson was another suspect after he was charged with several rapes in Minnesota in 1997. But it was very close to where she was in Iowa. He had lived between Jody's apartment and the TV station at the time she disappeared, said two, uh, about two blocks from her apartment. No evidence was found connecting him to the crime, though an old jailmate did go to WCCO News and state that Jackson had written a rap song in which he implied he'd buried Jody near a silo in Tiffin, Iowa. WCCO notified police and went with them, and they searched with cadaver dogs in an area matching the information they were given, and nothing was found. Jackson is stated from prison where he's serving a life sentence. It's it said the equivalent of a life sentence, so it's obviously, hmm. you know, X number of sentences served consecutively. That he hopes they find out who committed the actual crime against Jody as it's cloud over him because he's still suspected and he just wants the real culprit discovered so they can quit holding that over him. But it should be noted, he also still denies the rapes that he committed. Ah. And that what he was convicted of. He's in the, what was it? It was four rapes in a 16 day period and then he was caught. Do you know how many people, how many more victims there would have been at that rapid a pace? Holy crap. He's repeatedly changed his story about what he was doing that morning, and he has no alibi. Each time he gives a new alibi, it's disproven. Because, like, one of them, he was all, yeah, I was on my way to get married to my my girlfriend. And, but it was known that they had broken up a few days before because of, because of rape allegations or something like that. So, anyway, they disprove it, and then he'd give him a new one. Oh, well, then I was doing this. And then, but that's the exact same thing he did when he was being investigated for the rape cases. Oh, yeah, I was at a, at a <laughs> Dia de los Muertos or a, yeah. something. It was a party. And they're like, okay, no, you weren't. Oh, okay, well, I was doing this then. Although I always wonder, I'm like, if somebody asks me, if it's not written on my calendar, I'm going to be like, I don't know what I was doing that day. Mm -mm. I was hiking. I don't know. Thomas Corscadden has been in prison in Minnesota for sex crimes and was investigated as he lived in a white van about 40 minutes from Mason City and was known to go to Iowa for work frequently in her general area. His own daughter actually feels he's a strong suspect. Oh, my and, God. Yeah, and has stated that he watched Jody on the news and was familiar with her. They watched the morning show. Police did investigate him, but said they found nothing connecting him to Jody and the crime, and they released him as a person of interest. 
Jerry Burns is suspected by some, but it's not known if he was actually investigated for this crime. He's been convicted of the murder of a high school senior named Michelle Martinko in 1979 in Cedar Rapids in a mall parking lot. The reason people have tied them together is that the women were similar in their looks and that Jody was working in Cedar Rapids. That's when she had her newscast oh. there at the time that he committed that crime. But there has been no evidence tying him to Jody's disappearance. In 1996, volunteers searched in Cerro Gordo County, followed by police. So the the volunteers went through this area. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming this is probably the park area and the river. It just didn't say that. And But they would flag anything that was interesting. Then the police went through and did their own search. Nothing turned up. In 1999, police made a public statement that Tony Jackson was not a viable suspect. So that's the person mm-hmm. I'd mentioned who was in prison for the rapes. They actually put out... He is not a viable suspect on the news, just to probably take that heat off, even though he's already in prison. In May 2001, Jody was declared legally dead. Her family had to petition for it. But the story doesn't end there. Not even close. In 2005, now, her case popped up, including an episode of 2020, an observance of the 10th anniversary of her disappearance. A lot of tips came in after that 2020 episode. In 2008, a local newspaper received 84 photocopied pages from Jody's journal from an anonymous source. It turned out she she came forward to be the former police chief's wife. And the journal said so the journal had been taken as evidence from her apartment mm-hmm. during the investigation. It had been in police Which custody. Makes sense. Yes. But yeah, they're gonna. Is she writing about a certain? Is she writing about threats? Is she dating anybody? I feel so uncomfortable around Steve. Yes, but none of the articles ever reported why she sent the photocopies, what she thought somebody would gain huh. from them, and also it was acknowledged then that the chief had the journal. He was the retired. He had retired, so I suspect he still had hopes that he would solve it or something like that, right? Because it was. It wasn't closed, but maybe it wasn't actively being worked. So there just wasn't very much information about that. In 2015, the Iowa House of Representatives sent a letter with unanimous support to Mason City with a declaration that June 27, 2015, be named in honor of Jody in order to represent all victims of unsolved cases in general. And this was declined by the city. In 2016, the InWest, so I assume that's Northwest, Iowa Review, posted an op-ed by a retired state representative named John, see, I should have looked this name up too, (laughs) Kuiker, K-O-O-I-K-E-R, probably that it's just like Jody's name and the I isn't even pronounced, Kuiker, who had worked on the case. He implied there had been a cover-up by higher-up officials in Mason City. And I'm like, well, certainly not by the But what were they covering up? (laughs) I don't know. That's the thing. I'm like, it's like throwing out folklore, right? And being like, yeah, but, but here's no more information about this. Here's a monster. What does the monster do? We don't know. In 2017, a search warrant was put out for the friend she'd been with the night before she disappeared. Again, John Van Sice. 2017 though. So two of his vehicles and his GPS could be searched which I'm surprised he still had them. It had been suspected by friends and John's sister that he was interested in Jody as more than paternal. Okay. And Jody had insisted at the time, because even his, yeah, his sister was like, uh, I think he has a thing for her. But Jody was like, no, we're not dating. There's nothing between us. He had even named his boat after her. 
Come on. He had his own kids. It was more than paternal. Yeah. And they'd gone on a trip with friends the weekend before she disappeared. So they'd been on a ski, like a water skiing. Mm -hmm. And it was multiple friends. It wasn't just her and John. And they'd stayed at John's son's place. Anyway, that warrant is still closed. So nobody can view it like the press. Mm -hmm. Each year they have to decide to close it still. But whatever they found in it was not enough to put him before a grand jury. So, I mean, that's just a very basic explanation of what's surrounding that. But it means that that suspicion's not closed, basically, but that they didn't get enough to do anything about it, to pursue it. Okay, but if he was interested in her and realized she was not interested in him, Mm -hmm. he could still have been a little... Uh, I don't want to say stalkery, but he, but he could, could have. have. We've seen this over and over. Yes, but he could have put more weight on things. So, like, he could have, she left her shoes at his son's house, so he kept them. Right. Not that he was going to do, and I'm not saying he's innocent or guilty, because obviously I have no idea. But he could have been keeping mementos. Not that he ever would have acted on it, but just because he did feel strongly for her. Right. And it would look sketchy as hell if the police come over. This wasn't for his house. This was for his cars and his GPS. And my thing is, he would have known his way to her house. So it's all well and good. But at that point, a GPS wasn't necessarily keeping track of where you went unless you used it. That's a long time to go back to the GPS. So that's why I was like, really? That doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2018, a billboard was put up for the website findjody.com. Asking for information about her disappearance, they've since put up several more. FindJody.com is actually run by a group of her fellow journalists who want to solve the case. I mean, you can't have a more powerful, you know, like, in terms of investigating an unsolved mystery other than a group of cops, you know. But Right. It's a a dedicated group that's used to investigating things. In 2019, KIMT News posted on their Facebook page that Van Size's health had gone downhill and that he wouldn't be able to help for much longer. I have not seen that he died since then or anything that. In 2020, two people set a ladder up against the findjody.com billboard, climbed up, and painted a name and the words mechanic shed across it. They were never identified, but the figures were caught on gas station surveillance tape. That's how they know it was two people, not one. The name was of a Mason City police investigator. First name was Frank. Last name started with S. I couldn't really read it. And they have since made a concerted effort to not put his name out there because he was this past investigator. Okay. So my thing is, there really weren't good theories put up because everybody was like, and we're not implying he did this. It's that name could have either been, hey, he did this. Right. Or that name could have been because he was an active investigator hey, person who is investigating this, who we're aware of investigated this. Yes. Look in the machine shed. You know, like maybe they thought it would mean something to him. So this could go either way. It doesn't necessarily mean they're pointing right. a finger at him. And apparently nothing came of investigations into that. God, how frustrating. Yeah. Also in 2020, a private investigator named Steve Ridge came forward to say that he had interviewed someone who claimed to know something about important evidence that was destroyed. The informant did not want their name released to anyone, including the police, and said their guilt was eating at them, but that they feared for their lives Hmm. about the situation. 
I will throw out. I didn't put them in here because it just, it didn't make sense in the end at all. Like the other ones, eh, maybe, right? As a suspect, there was kind of a local drug kingpin. There was a big uh-huh. drug problem in that city. And it was thought for a while that he had done it. He was, because he had murdered a bunch of people that were basically, it was like witnesses against him and okay. their family. But, and so, but people were like, well, maybe she had covered the stories and stuff. But in fact, he wasn't even found as a suspect and arrested until after she disappeared. Uh, so it didn't make any sense. Right. Here, the other thing about him, though, was he was a waiter working at the country club. And there's some debate about whether he was there that night. Okay. He has stated in a letter that he was not there that night working. Uh, another ex-server said, no, he worked such and such. Not, he worked Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so he wouldn't have been there on a Monday night. Right. And then somebody else, another server said, I'm pretty sure he was there that night. But that he wasn't working the party. And so there's been all this stuff. So I was but like, pretty Meh. sure so it's I didn't not, put his yes, name I out. saw him there. Right. And so I was like, no, I, I think that this was My all God. wishful thinking because he had gotten in trouble in, in mm-hmm. the area and stuff. So that's why I didn't include his name. Anyway, I this was 2020 with the Steve Ridge guy. He went on 48 hours. He went on all this stuff about it. But he, I found no updates about his information. It's mm-hmm. been two years. January 12th, 2022. Wow. A previous suspect mentioned above, Corscadden, died. And he's the one whose daughter thinks that he could have done it. Right. But the police have said, nah. Right. At the end of January 2022, it was either 26th or the 28th, 2020, so many 20s, aired a special (laughs) on her. Tips have been pouring in since then. An article was published by KAAL-TV just a couple days ago, February 25th, saying some of the information is new, so they hope it will finally solve the case. So there could be more news coming on this soon. Who knows? Wow. Those who know anything about the case are asked to call Mason PD at 641-421-3636 or the Iowa Department of Criminal Investigation at 515-725-6010 or there's a way to submit anonymous tips on the findjody.com website. So people can go there if they have information and they don't want to give their names. I'm shocked wow. that this has been an open case for so long with it so actively pursued. Yeah. Which, but it sounds like they had nothing to go on. There were no, no it, you know, there was, there was no evidence at the scene. Yeah, it pointed out that the kind of evidence you would normally have a scene it like just wasn't there at a kidnapping. That's bizarre. They I... hadn't touched the key. They hadn't, because yeah. of course all of that would have been fingerprinted. She must have just been carrying it all. But it was also pointed out that when they left all the other stuff behind, it appears it must have been important to them to have her briefcase and her purse. So they might have thought she had information on something. She was a journalist. That's True. And so that is kind of offset as like, pay attention to this. They didn't, if they didn't care about that stuff, they would have let it lie there with all her other stuff. They weren't concerned about somebody knowing she'd been taken. But they took the makeup case too. Which was probably in her briefcase. Is what somebody said it would be on her okay. purse or her briefcase. Because I was, I was picturing something bigger. Because otherwise she's juggling three yeah. things. Plus she... I don't know if, well, the shoes were kicked out. So I assume they were on her and she kicked them off during the struggle. And the thing is, they were like, not only was it important enough to wait when she was late that day, 
It was important enough that when she put up a fight, which would actually, which a lot of times a crime will be deterred, right? Mm-hmm. Not always, yeah, obviously. No. Uh, but she was taking self-defense classes and had been for months. And she clearly fought back because her stuff was everywhere. Mm-hmm. When you look at the pictures, nothing is right next to anything else, even the shoes. Like, there's one thing here. There's one thing several feet away. There's one thing she fought. And she screamed, clearly, because people heard her. And there was no blood at the scene. I didn't say that, but I wanted to put that out there, too. She fought, but there's no blood from either of them found. Now, it was pavement, but often you can Uh, see blood. And if there was any big amount, you'd be able to. So So they don't even know. I mean, obviously, yes, they've had her declared dead, but they don't even know for sure that she is dead. No. (sighs) Because the body was never found, and that's also... Fairly unusual, especially yes. in a case like this, you know, like you would expect whatever they took her to do, they would have killed her and left her somewhere. If yeah. they killed her because she was covering a certain story, they would have dumped the body. Yeah, you want to leave a message. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's another part that's tricky is that nobody ever after all that Damn. time. So, yeah, we don't do unsolved mysteries on here a lot. That one feels like it. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. so close and yet so far from a solution. Ugh. And the fact that they came back to Van Sice so many years later really intrigues me. Yeah. Because you don't do that unless you have a strong suspicion that you can't prove. And it really, it does stack up. I mean, allegedly. <laughs> I'm just throwing that word out there right now. because Allegedly. Allegedly. But... It makes sense, and most crimes happen by somebody that you know, not a yes, stranger. Usually the easiest explanation is the... Yes, the van could have nothing to do with it. Could have been a delivery yep. van, although 4, 4 30 in the morning, I don't, I don't, probably not. But they could have been dropping off a friend. They could yep. have been a teenager or 20-something. Uh, th- yeah. There's a lot. It, the person who saw that van, by the way, was heading off to work at that time. Ah. So they didn't see a person. They didn't just saw an idling vehicle with the lights on. Yeah, it could have been somebody pulled over checking a map. It could have been it could have been the kidnapper. It could have been Yeah. So somebody running away from home. So much. So, so much speculation. Yeah. Wow. If you're thinking of starting a podcast or even just starting to research it, Buzzsprout is your go-to source for information and hosting. They have tons of videos and write-ups on everything you need to know about recording and distributing a podcast. And they even provide easy ways to get analytics on how your podcast is doing. We use Buzzsprout for our podcast hosting and through them, we've been able to connect with tons of resources and distributors. Following a link in the show notes, lets Buzzsprout know we sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and help support our show, a win-win. Not only do they help you get started, but they also do small things to encourage you, such as awarding you badges as you hit various milestones. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Okay, so what I'm going to talk about, there's not a lot of speculation. (laughs) It's it's very flipping clear what happened. My sources are a year of true crime calendar by Workman Publishing. <laughs> yeah. This is where I got it. This I, is the first one from your calendar, yes? It, this is the first one I've done for right, my calendar, right. yes. I found other... This one just immediately grabbed me because of her story made me want to talk about it. 
What's funny is this one again. This is the second one I've gotten because of one of the sites I follow that puts out random uh, stuff. I uh, think uh, it was like weird mm-hmm. history. And the only reason what they posted about was the spray painting on the billboard. That's what caught my attention. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have heard of it. You find stuff in the weirdest places. Yeah. You just all of a sudden you're like, well, this is interesting. And you go down that rabbit hole. Live to Tell One Last Hug, which was an episode of 48 Hours on CBS. Apparently CBS is all over this too crowd. Yeah, it is. Uh, and the Tampa Bay Times. Oh, and I forgot to list her website, the victim's website. So I'm going to talk about Melissa. I believe it's pronounced Dome, but I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it. It's D-O-H-M-E. I don't want to refer to her as the victim, although she is. Mm-hmm. She's the victim of this story. And if I wanted to be respectful, I could call her the survivor because she certainly is that. But she calls herself a Sir Thriver. Ah, I like it. I really like that. I'm like, I can get behind that. And that's actually even on her Facebook page. I went to her Facebook. I'm like, really? Is she? Um, yep. She's on Facebook. I. This is a story that doesn't have wacky facts. No wacky historical facts. <laughs> no hatchets. No maple syrup. Huh. Right? <laughs> what like, even are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> This happened on January 24th of 2012, which puts it at just 10 years ago, which for me is like yesterday from the way I do stories. Robert Lee Burton Jr. attacked 20-year-old Melissa Domey outside her home in Clearwater, Florida. So this was not a stranger attacking a stranger. Melissa and Robert had started dating in high school. And from the pictures I saw, and yes, I will post, Mm -hmm. because she has posted. She has released a lot of the of photos. Okay. Um, That's so helpful. I, I, I got to tell you, pictures when you're talking about a newscaster, so easy. <laughs> yes. Very easy to find. Um, from the pictures, he was easily a foot taller than she was. She was just a little petite, little tiny blonde. I want to say cheerleader looking girl. So was Not Jody. A, just yes. a teeny little blonde. Teeny little blonde. And he was like, he looked like the Incredible Hulk next to her. He was easily... I think he was more than a foot taller than she was. When they got together, she was very sympathetic to the upbringing that he had had. He apparently had a very rough family life. There is mention. I did not branch into the stories about his father. His father wasn't mentioned in his upbringing. So I don't know if he was involved or not. He is named Junior, mm. however, but he it seemed like when he was young, he bounced back and forth between his mother's house and his grandmother's house. And then at some point, his mother got remarried and started having more kids or, or you know, had other children with her new husband. And he never felt like he belonged. He felt like he didn't have a family. And now they had made this new family that he wasn't a part of. Now, at first, I was like, that's rough. Yeah. At first, I kind of thought, well, that could be sour grapes to explain. But then something comes up later on that topic. But he felt like he didn't have any family. So she said they were best of friends. He was always hanging out at her house. He really felt like he belonged with her family and with her. He was a romantic. He was always buying her flowers. Everything was great until she started applying to colleges. And I, you, you see this a lot. I, I mean, it's not an uncommon occurrence. She had accumulated hundreds. I want to say it was like 600 hours of volunteer time at hospitals wow. because she wanted to study nursing. I mean, she didn't just think, I want to be a nurse. She went out and fucking did the work before she even went to college. Good for her. 
So uh, he couldn't stand the thought that she was moving on Mm -hmm. or that she might be leaving him. I don't even know in the beginning that it was that she was going to leave him. It was that she was going to go to college. Okay. So he began, he couldn't stand the thought of her leaving. So he began with belittling her and calling her names and telling her she was stupid, calling her a dumb bitch. Very standard. Yeah. He had no imagination. (laughs) But in a classic abuser controller move, when she did try to leave him, when she did try to break it up, what did he do? (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. He threatened to commit suicide. Yeah. Yeah. So she stayed. So the situation didn't get any better. Because uh, it doesn't. Uh, he One day, he tried to strangle her. It didn't sound like there was a fight. It didn't sound like anything led up to this. He just put his hands around her neck and started to strangle her. So when he finally stopped, I mean, he stopped himself. She couldn't break free. He told her she couldn't tell anyone. He threatened that he would kill her and her mother if she told anyone. Mm. Yeah, again, they know that if they just threaten the person, yep. it doesn't maybe have the power, yep. but threaten one of their was, loved ones. Yeah, she and her mom were very tight. So in, one night in October of 2011, he just punched her. He started punching her and pulling her hair. And she managed to get away. So she's running down the street. She like grabs her phone and books it down the street. So she's running and calling 911 and she gets 911 and she makes the report. She's like, you have to, and they could hear her running and they could hear him shouting and <sighs> she's begging for help. And they tell her someone is on the way and she's like, I can't see him. I can't see where she, where he is. And then she remembers that he threatened her mother. Mm-hmm. So she turns around and runs back, <sighs> which tells you a lot about her. Yeah. So she doesn't know where he is. She doesn't know that he's gone to the house. Because she can't see him, but she's running back to make sure he's not attacking her mother. But that's when he catches up to her. And then and the, and the dispatcher can hear him, can hear part of the assault. And the two, two police officers pull up. So they take him in. He was, what was he charged with? Domestic battery. And there was some kind of, they didn't call it a restraining order, but something like that. Okay. The police really took a very hard line with her. Not an unsympathetic line, but they pretty much told her very baldly, dump him, get away from him, because if you don't, we're going to be back here. Because they've seen this a billion times. Yes. We're a gonna billion be, fucking times. We're going to be back here for the exact same thing. So she did. <sighs> Good for her, her. She felt like her life went back to normal. Well, here's the thing. She asked the police to go with her to tell her mother, because she had not told her mother what he was doing, because mm-hmm. she was worried that he would kill her mother. So... She confessed to her mom. She stopped seeing him. So she felt like her life had finally gotten back to normal. She was in school full time, which she loved and he had hated. She was hanging out with her friends, which he had hated. Because that's not controlling at all. So she didn't hear from him for approximately three months. Then on this one night, he kept calling her. He just like all night he kept calling her. So he finally calls and wakes her up. It's like. Two o'clock in the morning. And he says to her, I just want a hug. And she's like, no, I I have classes in the morning. Just leave me alone. And he's like, you know what? I get it. It's over. It's goodbye. I just want one final hug. And then I'll leave you alone. You'll never see me again. I can't believe after. Massive eye roll. uh, Yeah. I can't believe after we spent two years together, you 
you can't even give me a hug to say goodbye. So, I totally understand why she agreed. I mean, in retrospect, it, it, but he woke her up in the middle of the night, and she does seem like a very nice person. So, and she thinks this is her chance to get him gone. So she goes that outside. Yeah, I know. It was, we all know it wasn't going to work. So she says as soon as she walked outside, she knew that something was weird, but he had already seen her and she just wanted to get it over with. So they didn't speak. She didn't say anything to him. He didn't say anything to her. She hugged him and she heard a click. <laughs> that was him opening the switchblade. Yeah. Then he started stabbing her. He stabbed her back, her shoulders, her face, her head. She heard her skull crack. Mm -hmm. At one point, her mouth filled with blood. She said her, because there's a firsthand account, because she survived this. Um, her hair was so wet, she said it was like she'd stepped out of the shower. It was all blood. He'd stabbed her in the throat. That's why her mouth was filling mm -hmm. with blood. And she tried to crawl away. So she sees somebody with a phone. She sees a girl with a phone, and she's like... I, I'm I'm going to be saved. And then the girl was gone. So she felt like, Melissa felt like she was dying. So Burton leaves long enough to go back to his truck and get another knife. Why, did he break the first one? Or? No, but it was a bigger knife. So huh. he comes back and stabs her some more. Then he walked off. And when he gets in his truck, she has to crawl out of the way so he doesn't run over her. The girl with the phone was calling 911. Yeah, she just wasn't going to stand the rear guy with a knife. I, no, because he was a big fucking guy. Understandable. But, so, the police were on their way. So, they saw something on the side of the highway. They didn't even think it was a person. So, they pull over and they find her. They couldn't believe she was alive because she there was just massive blood loss. Uh -huh. uh, they could believe she was alive, much less that she was conscious. She was able to tell him who did that, who did it to her. And when the police... I think it was a police, uh, a female police officer, repeated the name back to her wrong. She was like, no, B, Burton. <laughs> I mean, she was had it that much together. Um, she, when they said, we're going to airlift you to a trauma center, she said that's when she knew she was going to die. Because mm -hmm. they don't airlift you to trauma center if they think they can treat you locally. Yeah. Yeah, they only airlift you when there's no other choice. I mean, the police go and get her mom. Her mom comes tearing across the lawn, and she can't even... They won't let her in the ambulance. Yeah. I I think they were just in so much of a hurry. I mean, the surgeon who operated on her said she was literally seconds away from dying. They're airlifting her out. Now, they did find Burton pretty quickly. He had ingested a large amount of sleeping pills and crashed his car into a building. <laughs> Brain trust. Howard, baby. Yeah. Man, baby. Whiny titty, baby? Yeah. Yeah, that fits too. The police did believe he was trying to kill himself. In his car, they found a baseball bat, a hatchet. Oh, my God. I said there were going to be any hatchets. Sorry. There Liar. was a hatchet. How could I forget? Mentidoso. <laughs> but it wasn't used. Um, <laughs> and a baton like the police use. Yeah. It actually took two days in the hospital for him to be lucid enough. To confess. <laughs> but he confessed. He's terrible at killing people. He's over for two. Yeah. Happily, in the one case, at least. So when she arrived at the ER, the first concern was blood loss. They started CPR. They immediately started doing transfusion to replace all the blood she lost. She died twice on the table. Mm -hmm. And had a stroke. 
And the stroke was caused by the blood loss, um, but they were able to bring her back. So altogether, Burton stabbed Melissa 32 times. She had the stroke due to blood loss and all of her teeth were knocked out. Ah, oh, Jesus. Okay. Think all about that them. for a second. All of her teeth were knocked out. Yeah. That's some, that's some oh, fuckery right there. After she began, once she began to heal, once they got, once they knew they could keep her alive, she had to do cognitive and speech therapy. She's had, had to have physical therapy to learn to walk again. At this date, she's had 10 facial reconstruction surgeries and they still are working on things for scars. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, you can't do everything at once. She's currently, they're working on her facial paralysis because uh, the knife, the one of the stab wounds severed a nerve. So what they've done is transplanted nerves from her leg to her face. I believe that step has been done. And the next step, I wasn't clear on whether this part has been done or not. I don't think so. But the next step is to attach muscle also from the leg mm -hmm. to the nerves and get it working again. Because only half of her face will smile. Okay. I mean, it's not that smiling is the only thing. That's how they described it. So. Well, she's a friendly person and she wants to be able to smile. Yes. What was horrifying when she talks about, so on the 48 hours, she was lucky to get a counselor who had been through similar circumstances, mm. only this woman had been fucking set on fire. Ugh. So she knew what it was like to be that disfigured, but not just attacked, but, but to be left with a visual reminder of yes. that. And if you ever need a good cry, look up this story and her story about looking in the mirror. Mm. The first time she's able to look in the mirror because she's like, I don't even know who this is. Right. Because the la her memory, last memory, is probably brushing her teeth before she went to bed that night. And then here's this completely different. Yeah. Her sister didn't even recognize her when she got to the hospital room. But in the aftermath, there was some event she was at. And she looks down and she realizes the two EMTs, the two first responders from the night she was attacked are in the front row. So she starts talking to them, you know, oh my God, I can't believe you came out and thank you so much. And of course fell in love with one of them. So she gets a little bit of a happy ending there. It took two years for the trial to start. Mm -hmm. He tried to claim incompetency, which was denied. So they finally have the trial date set and they're starting jury selection. And he stands up in court and says, no, he says, I can't do it. I can't go through with it. I did it. I'm guilty. I'm changing my plea to guilty. Okay. Good. So no trial. Money. Saver. I was like, what? <laughs> Cause he just sounds like a flaming turd a to me. And she said when she got to go at the sentencing hearing, she was like, he stared her down and she apparently just, found it within herself to say fuck it and stare him back down to talk about what he did to her. Good. She got to tell the judge everything she had been through. And she, this is a big, very big deal for her. This is a very big deal for a lot of victims. Not all, but she was able to tell him that she forgave him. Because for her, she felt it ended the power, any power he could have over her. Mm-hmm. So I want to make a big point that I'm not saying forgiveness is the route for everyone because it is not. And I don't think some people deserve forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's my two cents worth. If he's still staring her down. Yeah. 
I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to, no. but I get the power thing. And if that's how you think, then that's going to help you heal. Yes. It all depends on the person who has been wronged. You mm-hmm. have to do what's right for you. So at the sentencing, Burton's attorney asked the judge for leniency. And I wanted, I decided not to put that lawyer's name in. I decided not mm-hmm. to. Good. She pointed out that prior to the battery and attempted murder charges, Burton never showed a streak of violence, no criminal record, no disciplinary problems at school. This is an aberration, she said. Doing a horrible thing doesn't always make you a horrible person. But he is a horrible person. I'm like, the fuck it doesn't. He stabbed her 32 times. He because she was going to go to college. I mean, can we can we just yeah throw the source of this in there again? Because yeah. he was so entitled and possessive of another human being who we had no right over. Yes. That he tried to murder her. And when the knife wasn't big enough and she obviously wasn't dying, he went and got a bigger one in the middle of it. So yeah. he can go fuck himself and die. Yep. And so can that lawyer. I know that's her job. Exactly. But, but I, no. I, I'm like, I could not... How could you stand in front of a jury and say something, or Mm-mm. the judge, I don't know who does the, because this was the sentencing hearing. I don't even know how you could stand up and say that and not want to punch yourself in the face. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just, I'm like, it's an aberration. I'm like, um, he was verbally abusive. He tried to strangle her. He threatened her mother. I mean, how many things does it take to say, yeah, that's a... That's a pattern there, sweetheart. Anyway, he was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. Good. She now works as an advocate at an organization called Julie Weintraub's Hands Across the Bay, which is in in Florida. She is very passionate. She works in um, teen dating violence prevention and awareness, predominantly a teen in domestic violence. So, and you can, you can go and follow her Facebook page to get more information on her story and the organization that she works for. So, because it's so cute, on May 11th of 2015, she was recognized for all this work that she does for this organization. So, she was asked to throw out the first pitch at a Tampa Bay Rays game. Mm, who the hell named that? Who named that team? Tampa Bay Ray. Oh, it's like a stingray. I bet. So, the first responder, who's Cameron Hill was asked, I'm just going to burst into tears. This is ridiculous. (laughs) This is the first responder who she had fallen in love with. So they have him walk the ball out to her for the first pitch. And she's just all, she's been talking to him about how nervous she is because she's not, for all that she's a wonderful human being, she's apparently not athletic. So she's like, how am I going to throw this ball? You're going to have to practice with me. You're going to have to teach me how to throw a ball because I don't know how to do this. He's like, you got it, babe. No problem. So he walks out there, gets down on one knee and proposes. Uh Of course. Which I think is wonderful because he knew her well enough to know that she would appreciate that. that. Don't, for God's sake, don't pull a public spectacle if you don't know that the person you're proposing to would love it. No. Because if they don't. I would hate it. Oh, my God. Uh, They got married on March 4th of 2017. I, and one thing, it, it cracked me up. So after they got married, there are all these articles out there like, marrying the man who saved my life and <laughs> domestic abuse survivor marries her first responder. Uh-huh. I mean, it's in People magazine. It's yeah. in the BBC. One of those is from the BBC. I would have sent a copy to the dude in prison, Burton. 
You know, she's not as petty as we are. I'd still be like, look, you didn't even ruin me for other men. Piece of shit. I Because he probably thought something along those lines when oh, he was staring yeah. her down and he saw the physical damage that he'd done. Oh, yeah. And he didn't even achieve that. As much as he was stabbed, because he really concentrated on her head and her face. Uh-huh, yeah. So you know that's what he was thinking. If I can't have you, I'm going to make it so nobody else wants you. Mm-hmm. And, and it didn't even work. Not even not even a little bit. <laughs> not even a little, little bit. So there are photos that I can post, and I will. Because, like I said, she released photos mm-hmm. of the two of them. And, you know, like the, the typical high school couple photos. I will also post some of the more recent ones. Like I said, you can look her up and see her on Facebook. But I will also list some of the domestic violence resource and support numbers on our Facebook page. Because I hope that nobody ever needs them. But feel free to share them on your own page because you never know when you might reach someone at the moment that they need it. Mm -hmm. Because even when someone knows they need it, they're not always at the moment that they can take the action. No, and when you... When you hear a story, read a story, whatever, about how uh, something like this works, it sounds very basic. It sounds very simple, right? It sounds very easy to evade. If it were that easy to evade, it wouldn't be such a massive problem. It wouldn't be something the police dealt with over and over Over. and over again. It's not as simple as it sounds. It's not as easy as just, it's not as easy as just leave. Or just don't talk to them anymore. Or just don't, whatever. You know, there's... A bond already there. There's already a connection. And nobody sits there and thinks, this person is going to stab me over and over and over again when I give them a hug. Nobody thinks that. No. And if some, again, you were right with the threatening the loved ones. Yeah. The, um, you know, you're you're close to When somebody devases you and takes away your value, you're not as worried about yourself as you would be about somebody else. Yeah. The woman... Who was able to, like, be a peer counselor for her, for mm-hmm. her who has undergone so much sur- surgery because she was burned over a, a massive amount of her body. The ex-husband who did it to her was a cop. Mm-hmm. So think about that in... I'm not bad. Then there's bashing. nobody you can. What, what is that you situation? You can't go to if it's somebody anybody. In a, yeah, if it's somebody in a position of thor- of authority... Or it's somebody... It's he said, she said. Yep. Or it's people banding together and As, saying... Yes. Yeah. And there are community leaner, leaders... Leaners. Yes. Community leaners. I am a community leaner. Community leaders <laughs> who are... Compl- they're fabulous. Their public persona is giving and kind and generous. And they are absolute dicks at home. Mm-hmm. And abusive and... Whether it's uh, verbal and emotional abuse or it's sexual and physical abuse, it's still abuse and it's still not okay. Yeah. Thus ends my sermon for today. (laughs) Maybe we should just leave it on that note. I think we probably should. All right. So thank you for listening. Yes. We will be back next week. We will have something different. Yeah. Well, we always have something different. I don't want to say lighter, but... (laughs) Mine's lighter. A little? It's a little. So... A wee right. bit. Thank you. Thank you Bye. for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to Mysteries, Monsters, and Mayhem. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or at our website, mysteriesmonstersmayhem.com. Please like, rate, and review. Follow and share wherever your favorite podcasts are downloaded.
Thank you for listening and supporting our podcast. We'll be back next week with more shenanigans.